こんにちは皆さん。ビジネスサクセスジャパンのポッドキャストへようこそ。Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Business Success Japan Podcast.This is your host, Liddy Bukelman.My main goal here is to create an easily accessible resource for those who want to develop Japan-specific communication skills, especially in business. While I can't and won't promise to make you fluent in Japanese, I hope that you will walk away from each episode with a skill, piece of information, or shift in mindset that will help you be more effective in your interactions with Japanese business people. Today's guest is Ken Okamoto, a Japanese native and global citizen. He is a qualified financial analyst with a range of experiences living and working abroad. He's passionate about using his skills and experiences to help foreigners find success in Japan, and I'm very excited to share his insights into Japanese business meetings and Japanese corporate culture with you today. But first, I want to take a quick second to thank another person who has taken the time to rate and review the podcast. Bujaz Studios left a review that says Good information on Japan. Since I'm always looking for information on Japan, it was nice to stumble on a podcast that delivers practical insider advice. The earlier podcasts are good for when you're on the plane over to Japan. The later long form episodes have great in depth insight with smart interviews. Highly recommend. So, the person who left this review is named Michael Foster. He is a Chicago artist and designer passionate about Japanese culture with a new book out on Amazon. And you should go ahead and follow him on LinkedIn because he posts a lot of great art. That is Japan inspired, and I always look forward to seeing that on my feed. So you should definitely go check him out on LinkedIn. That's Michael Foster. Thanks again for the review. But before we get into the interview today, let's quickly go over a little bit of Japanese. In the previous episode, we learned a uniquely Japanese term that refers to what someone is really feeling or thinking. Honne. Ho. N. Ne. Honne. Today, we'll look at the flip side of that concept. Tate mae. Ta. Te. Ma. E. Tate mae. Tate mae refers to what one shows as their official opinion or thoughts. We'll cover these terms a little bit more later on in the episode, so be sure to listen closely for that. All right, so now let's get into today's interview. My name is Ken. I'm a corporate financial analyst and a leader consultant slash work life balance consultant. And、uh, I have worked for startups and SP 500 biotech company and European global company as a financial professional. Now I'm helping entrepreneurs build financial models and brush up on leader skills. So, then can you tell us a little bit about your history with Japan? Yeah, sure.、Uh, my nationality is Japanese, but I spent my childhood in New Delhi, India, and Tokyo, Japan. I have worked in Japan for 10 years as a financial professional. Then, afterwards, I moved to Canada to go back to、uh, college in Canada, Toronto. And、uh, due to the COVID 19, I came back to Japan、uh, six months ago. So, what was it like being raised in India then? Was that most of your childhood or was it kind of shared between the two countries? No, it was so short time.、Uh, it was like、uh, I was there just、uh, until five years old. So, I don't remember any、uh, language, native language there, but、uh, I have some kind of intense memory and I have, still have Indian tastes.、Uh, so, that's why so somehow I love Indian foods. 
um, yeah, but uh, it was a good experience because maybe that's because of that experience, I got some kind of global uh, mindset uh, when I was a child. So yeah, it was a good experience to me. But culturally, you would still consider yourself Japanese more than anything else? Uh, no, really. Uh, so because uh, I lived in different countries, because I live in India, of course, I identify myself as a global person, not just one nationality, because, you know, because of that experience. And these days, I believe that we cannot say just, uh, yeah, we can say I'm from blah, blah, blah country, but uh, I would like to say that we are living in our the same planet. So I can, I, I always say that I'm a global person. Yeah. I think that's getting to be a more common mindset, which is really awesome. Right, right. These days, uh, you know, particularly we need to work with people from different countries. Uh, so as long as we can use, uh, you know, English or yeah, another common language, uh, we can live together and work together. So can you tell us a little bit more specifically about the work that you're doing? You're starting a bit more of the one-on-one -on -one consulting work. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that looks like? Yeah, sure. So right now I'm focusing on helping entrepreneurs and small companies through my financial skills and global skills, along with work-life balance advice, um, because, you know, Reason why I'm saying that work-life balance advice is that, so best, it, this is my best known uh, experience. When I worked as a financial analyst, uh, once I got burned out because long hours at Japanese company. And so on top of that, when I lived in Canada, people have great uh, work-life balance. So I kind of realized that uh, it's quite important to have work-life balance so that we can uh, perform very well. Uh, so it's not just having knowledge or just not uh, hard skills or social skills, but at the same time, same time we need to have a good life work balance. So in that, uh, those kind of things, I'm trying to give uh, advice for entrepreneurs and small companies because I know particularly startup, they require uh, kind of sometimes long hours and so hard work, of course, because this is a starting point, right? But at the same time, we kind of needed to rest at the same time because simply our brain uh, cannot work uh, 24 hours. So definitely we needed to kind of take care of our mental and physical uh, body as well. So yeah, those kind of things I'm providing advice, not just uh, financial knowledge was uh, any data. And at the same time, right now, I'm writing articles focusing on business culture to support professionals. Uh, so you can check out uh, on my uh, LinkedIn account. So how does that go over with uh, more startup businesses telling them that they need to work less? Is that something that they're receptive to? Do they tend to push back on that? How do they usually react? So it totally depends, but in the most cases, I don't just, you know, push them, hey guys, you have to have a work-life balance. I don't say that uh, bluntly, just simply I find, 
firstly, I analyze what they are doing, which phase they are in right now. So if they are just starting right now, and when I interview with uh, their employees, then I can sense that whether they feel kind of burden or they are enjoying. So if they feel like burden they have, then I'm telling them, hey, gee, uh, uh, Mr. XYZ, uh, your employees seems like kind of fatigue. So you need to take, you need to take into account uh, their mental health as well. That's the kind of thing. When I tell them, because I uh, explain that logically, they understand that. So it totally depends on the situation of the company. So mm. then Japan is very notorious for all of those long work hours, even outside of startups. So mm. why do you think Japan specifically has such a hard time with this overworking culture? Hmm, that's kind of tough to answer. Uh, it's simply say that this is typical Japanese corporate culture. But uh, I would say that because of our history, uh, so particularly uh, after World War II, we had a kind of growing uh, rap rapidly, uh, growing uh, business environment. So at that time, uh, particularly 90s or 80s or 90s, simply the more we work long hours, uh, the more we could get performance and we could uh, earn more money at that time. Uh, but uh, yeah, this kind of um, history makes that kind of not a good uh, Japanese corporate culture. Yeah, particularly these days, still many senior professionals have that kind of custom here. So you said that Japanese companies or Japanese people worked hard before because the harder you worked, the more you could earn, the better output you could have. What changed? Is it because we moved from industry or industrial output to more of a knowledge economy that that doesn't work so well anymore? Yeah, as you may know, so we have kind of blank period for 10 years or 20 years after that uh, rapidly growing uh, business period. Uh, simply, it doesn't work at all these days. Yeah, it's kind of hard to explain that, but maybe because uh, these days we need to have uh, worked with, we need to um, have business with uh, different countries. So in that case, we need to kind of adapt different perspective, different uh, approach, way of approach to solve the problem, which means we need to adapt our business models, of course. But uh, unfortunately, Japan is island, so it's kind of hard to uh, kind of get uh, different uh, perspectives. So, but, uh, you know, thanks to IT development and uh, more and more younger people have worked or study abroad in other countries. So these days, uh, younger kind of startups or younger companies, younger professionals have a global mindset to these days. So they are trying to shift work efficiently, not just uh, work hard, but work smart these days. 
Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So then in Japan, since you've had experience in different countries and how people work in different countries, what would you say the role is that meetings specifically play in Japanese companies versus other countries? What's different about Japanese meetings? So in traditional corporate, Japanese corporate culture, it plays uh, many things. One is uh, it plays majority of work hours, which means so in traditional Japanese corporate culture, having many meetings implies that you work hard and each meeting has long hours. So, you know, people say, would say that, okay, you have a lot of meetings and the long hours, oh, you are super busy uh, despite the results. So that's kind of strange things would be happening. That's the one thing. And uh, another thing is meetings is kind of our kind of consensus place, you know, meaning professionals who have traditional Japanese work style would like to get consensus officially. So this, for example, uh, I'm proposing ABC uh, kind of solution, but uh, I don't want to say that this is just uh, my opinion, but I'd like to get consensus within the team. Maybe because of this is kind of uh, Japanese uh, culture, uh, because of we are now in living in um, Ireland. So that uh, we kind of try to avoid conflict uh, from other uh, people. And so, yeah, unfortunately, um, that's why sometimes there is a meeting for a meeting. So, for example, so kind you know, some kind of uh, head of department tended to have a meeting or country management tended to have a meeting to report to our upper uh, hierarchy. Uh, simply because they are kind of afraid of uh, being judged. Uh, so that's why so sometimes there is a meeting for a meeting. I know it sounds like not efficient, um, but uh, yeah, it's happening here still. And another thing is there are a lot of uh, routine communication plays, uh, like um, weekly or bi-weekly or monthly meetings so that we can share progresses. So it's more like not just discussing, but uh, we sh try to share uh, any information at meetings. Mm -hmm. So yeah, these kind of things are kind of a Japanese meeting style. So on top of that, typical Japanese, not typical, I don't say that, many Japanese professionals inclined to have as many participants as possible. Because simply, as I said, uh, they would like to get consensus uh, officially within the team, even though these pers these people are not the key persons, um, but uh, yeah, they didn't uh, invite uh, participants as many as possible. Yeah, yeah. So unfortunately, since we have many long hour meetings, which means uh, it's leading to long hours as a result. So that's why, so, uh, you know, typical, you know, uh, stereotypical uh, kind of sense in Japan. So our work hours would like, is like 12 hours or 14 hours a day on average. So, yeah. You would say that's pretty typical? Yeah, it, still it's typical, 
But uh, that being said, uh, that being said, that younger startups where management is younger uh, have less meetings and shorter meetings because simply they have uh, worked or studied in other countries. That's why so they know uh, we should uh, work efficiently. So they are trying to have uh, less than 45 minutes meeting and before the meeting, they are trying to identify agendas, what kind of topics we should decide within, the, within 45 minutes. So on top of that, they are trying to have less attendees. So this kind of trend is happening right now, particularly at uh, startups, younger startups. So of course it depends on the industry, but uh, in my opinion, this kind of trend is happening in IT industry particularly, because simply uh, a lot of IT companies have foreigners, not just Japanese. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Tends to be younger, tends to be more diverse. So Right, exactly. Moving away from the traditions seems kind of inevitable in those situations. Yeah, exactly. Of course, uh, there are pros and cons on the both sides, you know, uh, traditional work style and the modern work style. But uh, we need to kind of uh, pivot our thinking way as well so that we can work efficiently and uh, yeah. That's interesting to me because when you say that Japanese companies have so many meetings, if you look at um, any sorts of business publications in America, Mm -hmm. They're always complaining about meetings too, that there are too many. There's people there that don't need to be there. They're too <laughs> long. Is it just mm -hmm. on a whole other level in Japan that Americans can't even imagine then? Or mm. That's interesting. I didn't know that, uh, to be honest, uh, a lot, even in the USA, there are a lot of meetings. Yeah. But uh, what do you think about that uh, as a you know, US student? We focus more on maybe brainstorming, trying to get everybody on the same page, that sort of thing, rather than consensus seeking, I think. Okay, okay, okay. The purpose is totally different, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, to do uh, brainstorming, uh, you have uh, meetings with uh, a lot of attendees. Yeah, that totally makes sense, yeah. Yeah, I was just curious about that myself. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it's not, it doesn't happen, uh, not just doesn't happen uh, in my, uh, based on my experience. Yeah, most typical, uh, you know, Japanese company have meetings just to get a consensus. So we kind of before narrowed down into three terms that we wanted to talk about in relation to business meetings. Mm -hmm. So the first one was honne, tatemae, mm -hmm. and then nemawashi. Could you tell us a little bit about these three terms and what they have to do with business meetings? Okay, so there are these are just two words of uh, actually. So honne and tatema is one phrase. So honne and tatema is kind of a polite way to hide negative opinions. So it's like a white lie in English. So yeah, and the nemawashi is that kind of you get approval from all stakeholders, not just from a decision maker. So in a meeting, uh, you kind of uh, witness some honne and tatemae. So be careful in Japanese, not Japanese, yeah, sometimes uh, you cannot take 100% straight forward. 
Hey, uh, Ken, your proposal is sounds great. This is a good idea. Amazing. Uh, we, you cannot take that 100% straightforward. Sometimes they are saying that. However, uh, underneath, they might think, aha, uh -huh, uh, it might be a good idea, but uh, there are some problems there. Uh, so we need to consider uh, that kind of things is happening. Yeah, it's not a lie, but uh, yeah, just they are trying to um, nice. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so then honkai yeah. is what they're actually thinking and tatemai is what they're saying, correct? Yeah, yeah, you can say that, yes. Yeah, just to remember it a little more easily. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah, so I would say honne and tatema is white lie. I would say that. Yeah. Yeah, bit bit Yeah, but uh, yeah, what you are saying is right. Mm -hmm. And nemamashi is uh, in the meeting. So particularly for traditional Japanese companies, nemamashi is quite important. So before, as I said uh, before, uh, before meetings, uh, you better to get consensus or discuss with participants to to get consensus. Otherwise, the meeting itself doesn't work. Uh, this is nemawashi. So it's kind of uh, kind of pain. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sometimes uh, you need to understand how important nemawashi is so that we can proceed meetings efficiently and smoothly. Nemawashi doesn't just involve people kind of going up the hierarchy. It involves kind of everybody in the organization. Correctly. Everybody in the office. Yeah, in the office or in the yeah in your team. Yeah. So that's why. So sometimes you you need to have uh, meetings for meetings. <laughs> yeah, it which is kind of um, you know time consuming, and some some people would say that uh, it's not efficient. But uh, yeah, to be honest, it is what it is in, you know, traditional Japanese companies. So then another thing that I've heard from foreigners who have gone to Japan is mm -hmm. that they've encountered nemawashi when mm. they go to a meeting with a Japanese company, they're trying to convince them of something. But mm. then no matter how well they presented, no matter what arguments they gave, in mm. the end, the answer had already been decided ahead of time because of this nemoashi mm, and that mm. kind of made it difficult for them to work well with Japanese companies because no matter what they did, no matter what arguments they presented, everything mm. was already decided. So mm. that's okay. Yeah, that's going to be happening. Yeah, oh, uh, totally I understand that. That's why so it's quite important uh, to connect with uh, not just key persons, but person who kind of have influence at Japanese companies. It's, I know this is kind of difficult to figure out, but uh, yeah, you need to kind of discuss with that person before a meeting. Yeah, that's quite crucial. So that's interesting because in America, we tend to rely more on meetings for decision-making or for guiding decision-making. So then what, can, what should foreigners do to try to actually work together with Japanese people outside of meetings? That's difficult question <laughs> because it's kind of depends on the company and the situation. But I would say it's kind of again pain in their neck. But you better to have kind of pre-meeting before the 
meetings. I mean, so you better to have a meeting with some, not just yeah, some key persons to discuss. Hey, uh, Ken, uh, we are going to uh, propose this these projects, and what do you think about that? Okay, uh, I'm thinking uh, you better to explain this, 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 and in this way. I answer that. Then they are taking it. Then they would be able to uh, ask me, for example, uh, Ken, uh, before the meet, before the actual meeting, could you tell our you know, could you tell something, blah, 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 to your colleagues, something like that. So having meeting a meeting would be sometimes required. Okay. So you yeah. also to try to initiate pre-meetings at a moment. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course, uh, if the case is in a, you know, new startup, um, the younger corporate culture, it's not necessary to do that. It totally depends on the company. But if their your counterpart is traditional uh, Japanese culture they have, uh, then it might be required. So is that kind of the role that um, nomikai and those sorts of meetings play, or is this a totally separate thing? I would say. It depends. If you are talking about uh, external nomikai, then uh, it might be uh, better to have nomikai. It's like uh, we call it settai, so that you can treat your clients, your suppliers, something like that before we are doing actual work together. Uh, but in the internal environment, which means you are having nomikai with your colleagues. It's more like having nomikai in your, in your team uh, makes you kind of uh, part of your team as well. Yeah, simply they can kind of get to know each other, right? So, but these days, I feel like there are less nomikai at kind of modern or younger startups because simply they care about, not care about, but they uh, kind of try to have time with their family as well. So, but uh, still at typical, yeah, traditional Japanese companies, there would be a, a lot of nomikai. So then at the actual meetings, since mm -hmm. Japanese people may be doing honnei and tatemai, how in the world can somebody who isn't Japanese understand what's actually going on? How can you know what people are actually thinking if they're saying something different than what they're actually thinking? That's so difficult question <laughs> because even I'm Japanese, sometimes it's hard to read that. Uh, but if you can do, read the cookie. Cookie means uh, it's vibe there. So if they get convinced that uh, you can feel that. But uh, otherwise, uh, if you cannot feel that kind of sounds, I would suggest that try to sum up uh, after the meeting. So which means uh, following up with meeting minutes, hey guys, we talked about this, this, this. Then so I would suggest that for next meeting or for to conclude this meeting, please give us these answers by when. So this kind of following up would be effective and valid, I would say, if you can raise a cook. And if you have, you know, Japanese colleagues or Japanese 
professionals who are good at English, then simply you can ask them. Mm. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if you can bring me uh, the recording at the meeting, I can maybe I can guess <laughs> if, if that meeting went well or not. Yeah, uh, I can give advice, maybe. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 feel free to ask me. <laughs> so maybe just kind of practicing thinking back on what happened so you can... Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, there is no one answer. If these things happening, then it, the meeting went well. I cannot say that. Uh, even you know, in your native language, it's kind of difficult, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, unless they said a clear answer. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, even if some, some participants in the meeting said that, uh, as I said earlier, hey, Ken, this is a good idea, definitely we are thinking uh, positively and we are going to consider it. But uh, you cannot take that 100% again, uh, it would be, turning out opposite conclusion. Mm. So that's why I saw kind of following up is quite crucial to know, to get to know the progress and what they are thinking, actually. So then what are some things that foreigners can do that would make them more effective in a Japanese business meeting based on what you've seen in the past, like how foreigners or how Japanese people tend to have meetings versus what would be considered more acceptable in a business meeting in Japan? Hmm. That's, again, a difficult question uh, because it depends on the team and depends on what kind of professionals are in the meetings. Because sometimes there are uh, a lot of professionals who understand global meeting style and they need to understand different approach and different perspectives. But uh, in general, I would say that you don't need to worry about too much uh, Japanese style of meetings. I would say that simply foreigners can say out loud proactively, hey, can, um, we have this meeting and so we need to discuss this, this, this. And if you have opposite opinion, uh, you can say that out loud. Uh, because simply, I believe that, of course, I understand foreigners try to understand Japanese meeting style, but at the same time, I believe that Japanese co companies need to uh, change their way of doing their business meeting at the same time. So I kind of, uh, yeah, I hope that foreigners try to say out loud uh, opposite opinions and what they are thinking so frankly uh, and if you are afraid of kind of being judged or if you are afraid of making mistakes uh, regarding uh, Japanese corporate Japanese business meeting style you can simply use gaijin card effectively <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah it is uh, kind of effective because uh, many Japanese people understand uh, for example, if I'm uh, not uh, Japanese, um, so they would say that, yeah, Ken is not Japanese. So he, even if I'm saying or complaining or saying opposite opinions, they try to understand uh, because they are, I'm from different countries. I'm from different corporate culture. So in that case, they 
try to understand. So you can use Gaijin card effectively. But uh, be careful though, if you are having with uh, higher kind of talented, uh, experienced professionals at Japanese company, they can see and they understand what you, you know, uh, what you really think. And so they don't care about not care. They don't mind uh, your background. Just they are focusing on what kind of proposal you are bring on the table and what kind of results they would bring bring it. So you cannot use always guiding card, but uh, sometimes you can use guiding card effectively. I would say. Yeah. And another thing is, as I said earlier, uh, following up is quite important with meeting minutes. So yeah, I would say these three things would be uh, valid uh, for foreigners. So then what is kind of best practices for following up? Is it thanking them and providing a summary and then asking for almost a deadline for another follow up? Is that usually how it works or? Hmm. That's a, yeah, it works and uh, it's quite important uh, because as you may know, not so many uh, Japanese professionals use uh, English so often. That's why so they are sometimes misunderstand uh, what you are saying in English. So for them, it's so helpful to get written English uh, as a meeting minutes so that they can confirm what you are saying and what's going on at the meeting actually. So there would be, um, yeah, that's so helpful for each other. I know if I were in their shoes, I would definitely want a written copy too in Japanese. Right, <clears throat> right, <sense>. right. <laughs> I, yeah, it's totally understandable, right? <laughs> yes, 100%. So then it makes sense that Japanese meetings involving foreigners would kind of be on a spectrum where you have young startups that are more internationally minded doing more international style meetings. Mm. And then on the other extreme would be super traditional meetings. Mm -hmm. So if you had somebody maybe who works at a Japanese company, so they're sort of expected to abide by Japanese culture to an extent, Mm. at a very traditional company, mm. what should they expect when they walk into a Japanese meeting? Try to understand and try to kind of adapt your common sense in a business world that you have earlier, because uh, these days, a lot of things are changing rapidly, right? So it's not just technology, but the meetings as well. So the way of meetings is changing as well because right now we can have meetings on online right. so in that sense uh, i'd say i always say that not just stick to a uh, japanese meeting style or just global meeting style i'd say it's kind of uh, try to understand what participants want and to try to understand what kind of style the company have company has so it's more more like accept the environment itself. So just try to be a little bit more flexible. Mm, right. Be flexible would be one of the best way to proceed business meeting well. But still follow up. Following up is important. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. 
it's not just maybe following up is quite important to any country, I believe yeah. so, because yeah. just make sure. And so it's kind of evidence, right? Hey, can we are talking about this, 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 and I cannot say that. Oh, I didn't say that, but uh, there is evidence. Well, based on the records or based on the meeting minutes. So yeah, that's kind of for, for any situation. Yeah, I'm just thinking about how, because you've had experience working in Canada as well, so you kind of have seen how different countries structure their meetings. Mm. Um, what would you say the biggest difference is between Japanese style meetings and I guess Canadian style meetings? Is it just the pace? Are they more formal? Are they more structured? What would you think the biggest difference is? Is it the seating arrangement? <laughs> Hmm, that's uh, interesting because is, you know, I don't have many Canadian work experience, but in my, you know, a few experience in Canada, I'd say that their meeting style is more like reaching points efficiently, uh, whereas Japanese meetings, they are kind of try to fill up kind of a lot of details first, then trying to reach the conclusion within the meeting. So that kind of uh, approach is totally different, one thing. And second thing is uh, where Canadian or other country, I would say, they kind of talk with their senior professionals or supervisors straightforward uh, what they are thinking. But uh, in Japanese companies, they care about what senior professionals think. And so as a result, sometimes younger professionals cannot say uh, opposite way, opposite opinions at the meetings. So that's kind of things, uh, kind of different. Is there anything else you think that people should know about business meetings before they enter into their first one in Japan? Um, I'll say, yeah, always try to kind of research and try to get, uh, understand what kind of companies or what kind of uh, professionals, what kind of uh, participants you are dealing with at the meeting, before the meeting, uh, like buying, searching on LinkedIn accounts or websites or simply checking Glassdoor, what kind of uh, corporate culture they have. Then you can kind of guess, okay, this kind of company would be having typical Japanese corporate culture, then you need to do nemawash first and uh, yeah, that kind of things. So being prepared uh, is would be crucial. So just kind of do a little bit of extra homework to understand what you're beginning yourself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, until you kind of get used to that kind of environment, until you can kind of read the cookie uh, during the meeting. Yeah. Yes, that is the goal, but it does take some time to get there. Yeah, exactly. Of course, it's better to understand, better to be able to use Japanese language itself, because the more you can use uh, Japanese language, the more the participants, I mean, Japanese participants feel safe and they can uh, discuss proactively more. So is a difficulty in those meetings a lot of times just comes down to language barriers. Is it people feeling a little bit uncomfortable with their English and they might have a harder time expressing themselves so they might not say as much or? Mm, it could be happening. 
Okay. Yeah, of course, it depends on the person and it depends on the company. Um, but yeah, it's a, unfortunately, there would be a language barrier. So always better to have, you know, local language knowledge, local language skills. But if you are talking with, you know, professionals who have experience in other countries, of course, you don't need to worry about it. But uh, if you like, if, if you are dealing with kind of people who don't have experience in other countries, uh, yeah, that might be difficult. All right, so then moving on a little bit, uh, as everybody is probably aware, to, aware of by now, the population in Japan is quickly getting older, the workforce is rapidly getting smaller, and it's going to be even more important than ever for Japanese companies to start not only getting but retaining foreign talent. Mm. Are there any things that non-Japanese people can do to be attractive to Japanese companies? Difficult question again, um, but uh, I would say that I'll try to make a multinational team and the environment and uh, establish and support startups that have diverse culture. Uh, because I believe that uh, more and more, as you said, uh, we need to have talented people, talented professionals from other countries. Otherwise, simply we cannot have uh you know a task force or workforce in japan on top of that there are a lot of talented people in other countries so if we are looking at just japanese labor market it doesn't make sense if you'd like to get uh, talented and skilled professionals so at the same time i understand a lot of foreigners try to understand japanese corporate culture but at sometimes i believe that a lot of uh, Japanese companies need to change themselves. So in that sense, I strongly suggest that foreigners to make multinational teams and the environment and please start up your own business with uh, diverse corporate culture. So you yeah. think that things will change more rapidly if there's more um, businesses that start as international companies. You think that will have a bigger influence on the Japanese companies themselves? Hmm. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, particularly this COVID-19 situation, so we have to change, right? On top of that, uh, we need to work with different markets, not to work, yeah, we have to do business in different markets, not just Japan, not just Asia, uh, but uh, also Europe, or North America. So I'd say at the beginning, uh, you know, going back to the beginning, uh, as I said, I'm, I identify myself as a global person. It's kind of the same sense that we are living, living in a, on the same planet. So which means we can work everywhere. So regardless of your nationality, regardless of your background, it doesn't matter. It's in, what's important is that we try to understand modern, modern, you know, kind of work style, lifestyle, and different corporate culture, different country culture, different perspectives, so that we can work together. So always we better to adapt the situation. As we were talking about before that companies want to have foreign talent, they like the idea of having foreign talent, they just have a hard time putting that into practice. 
Can you tell us a little bit why that is? Is it just logistics? Are people worried about changing their corporate culture? What tends to stand in the way from more traditional Japanese companies incorporating more foreign talent into their companies? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting question. That's interesting because uh, I've heard that a lot of Japanese companies say that we'd like to hire kind of new blood from diverse environments to become diverse environments. Um, but they are kind of always focusing on Japanese labor markets.、Uh, simply, maybe they are thinking about language barrier. That's the one thing to prevent、uh, from diverse society, diverse corporate culture.、Uh, but、uh, I always say that if you are looking at diverse environments, you need to kind of adjust again, different、uh, nationality, and you need to. Look at different labor markets from USA, Europe, or other countries. But unfortunately, for typical、uh, traditional Japanese company, it's kind of、uh, difficult to adjust themselves because simply they are sometimes they are afraid of being changed by outside elements or outside people because you know、uh, it's kind of It might be sabotage their job itself, not sabotage, but yeah, it's not, they are thinking would be, it would be negative impact on their corporate culture. Changing is、uh, quite difficult, right?、Uh, because it has、uh, both sides, pros and cons. So it's quite difficult to deal with and handle、uh, the situation. So that's why so leadership. Is quite important, yeah, to lead the company. And do you have any opinions on what might convince these companies to just sort of take the plunge and embrace these sort of changes? Will it just be seeing more examples, more successful examples? Will it be necessity, like、um, Japanese companies have only now <laughs> started accepting working from home just because logistically it was the only way to get things done?、Mm-hmm. How do you think? Japanese companies will come to make these sorts of changes? Yeah,、uh, one thing I would say that Japanese companies have to kind of、uh, adapt digitalization. This is crucial. If they can do that,、uh, there, is, there are a lot of opportunities to, to do their business on, on a global scale and、uh, to hire. Uh, talented people from、uh, different countries. Yeah, so digitalization would be one of、uh, key elements to, to change their corporate culture. And what does digitalization look like compared to how things are now? What do Japanese companies do now, or what haven't they kind of moved on from that are kind of the opposite?、Uh, that's quite difficult because right now it's in progress. Uh, even though Japan has moving so slowly to, towards、uh, digitalization, but、uh, I'd say that, for example, we have Hanko system, as you may know. So, even though we have a pandemic situation, because of the Hanko, state, Hanko system, a lot of people have to go to the office just because they need to you know, stamp Hanko seal, so, which puts them in danger, right? Uh, that kind of things、uh, need to be changed.、Um, but at the same time, 
some of traditional Japanese companies uh, adapt uh, electric signal system. So on top of that, um, like Toshiba or bigger companies in Japan try to um, provide digitalization consulting services. So yeah, definitely there are kind of outdated systems still, but at the same time, there are a lot of companies in Japan try to change the way of way it used to be. Since it's all in progress right now. Yeah, so it's kind of takes time, uh, particularly, uh, as you may know, uh, Japan has kind of that kind of um, slow, slow moving <laughs> custom, I would say. So it takes time. So then another common thread throughout this conversation has been that there are pros and cons to changing. And I believe strongly that Japanese companies need to embrace this sort of change. But do you think anything might be lost along the way as these companies start to embrace a more um, international approach to doing business? Hmm, things lost? I don't think it's a it's matter of lost or gain. Mm -hmm. Again, it's more like adapting. So it's more like creating and integrating, combining uh, pros and cons and traditional work style and the modern work style. Then we can evolve other, you know, work style, work uh, corporate culture. So it's not like uh, lost or gain, more like uh, evolving, I would say. So then do you have any examples that you've seen? It could be friends, it could be people that you've worked with of times that you've seen a communication breakdown in Japan due to these differences in culture. Yeah, as I said earlier, there is uh, some kind of issue uh, due to difference in culture, like so get to the point approach versus feel the details, uh, then conclusion, which is Japanese corporate style. Uh, so that kind of issue would be uh, happening, but uh, I'd say it's more like not just due to different corporate culture, but more like there is a language barrier. So way of understanding what you're saying, it's not just like uh, language skills, it's more like uh, what kind of language you are using. For example, simply we cannot translate each English to each uh, Japanese word because simply we have different we have different language and we have different idiom vocabulary and uh, we have different history behind the language, so it's kind of uh, difficult to um, understand uh, what you're saying exactly. That kind of things is happening a lot in the in a lot of meetings. Uh, so I would say language barrier would be one of different culture. Yeah, I would say so. So what do you think the solution is for that then? Yeah, as I said, it, this is difficult really. Either way, a lot of Japanese companies uh, kind of educate English skills and uh, try to understand, try to make people understand different corporate, different uh, country culture. For example, they can they can send uh, their employees to uh, foreign overseas branches uh, to train or to see other worlds. 
and try to kind of make them kind of you know having new new sense of work style so yeah or for foreigners maybe yeah try to brush up on uh, native uh, not native uh, local language skills but as a, again it's not just language skills just it's more like feeling uh, what you're saying so yeah just get used to it yeah unfortunately i can't say one answer here mm -hmm. but uh, it takes time again and it's more like building trust relationship is quite important in there in any world right so it's interesting that uh, even if we have you know a different language somehow we can trust someone from uh, other countries right maybe you may have uh, expressed that i don't know i cannot explain that that's because of their advanced language skills it's more like how you are saying what you are saying and how you act for other people then you can trust that person i strongly believe that so action is quite an important element even though even in the meetings so you are trying to support them, what you are trying to understand, and you are trying to um, kind of do for them. Then you can build trust relationship, which brings to uh, successful uh, business meetings in any country, I believe so. That makes a lot of sense, which is why, especially in Japan, those events like Nomikai and just spending time together, having long relationships is just such an important part of being successful in Japan. Yeah. It is, but actually, I'm not a big fan of Nomikai, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> uh, because it totally depends. But um, a lot of cases, Nomikai is just like uh, having a fun time. Of course, it might be uh, good things, of course, but uh, sometimes it's kind of meaningless uh, would be. Um, so it's more like I'd say not just doing participate in Nomikai. As I said earlier, more like try to build uh, trusted relationships by kind of asking or by talking to your colleagues and support by trying to support their work. That kind of things would be more important than Nomikai. Be a trustworthy partner. Be a good partner. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Of course, sometimes uh, Nomikai would be fine. Yeah, but uh, it's not 100%. Uh, I wouldn't say this is the greatest idea. I wouldn't say that. It's not very good for your liver either. So. Yeah. So then if you were speaking to somebody who is going over to Japan for business for the first time, and mm. you really only had time to teach them one thing, what would mm. you want to teach them? One thing? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> I'd say that try to understand that your common business sense in your country might not work in Japan. So keep it in mind uh, that. So what I'm trying to say is that always trying to um, adapt your way of doing your business, the way of having meetings, always try to adapt uh, that and before meetings or before doing business in any countries it's crucial to research 
uh, what kind of uh, corporate culture, what kind of professionals you are talking to. Simply, you can research that thanks to uh, IT technologies and you can Google it. So be prepared before doing something. Right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Ken. Is there okay, anything so you'd like to share with my audience before we head off for today? Yeah. So since I'm helping entrepreneurs, particularly focusing on uh, non-Japanese entrepreneurs, yeah, feel free to let me know uh, if we have any concerns doing business in Japan or if you have no idea how to incorporate company uh, in Japan. I'm glad to uh, help you anytime. <laughs> it's not a promotion, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I can help you. All right, awesome. Well, thanks again. Thank you for having me today. I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation. Be sure to check out the links in the description of this episode to learn more about Ken and his company, Ken One World Consulting. Please remember to go ahead and subscribe and leave a rating and review if you enjoy the podcast. And feel free to email me at businesssuccessjapan at gmail.com if you have any other questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes or interview topics. Also, be sure to reach out if you'd like to contribute as a guest on the podcast to share your own cultural insights into doing business in Japan. But for now, remember that the more you learn, the more confident you will become as you explore all of the opportunities Japan has to offer you. Until next time, mata kondo.